Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we are glad to be here once again for another awesome episode. And this time we're bringing you all new articles from some of our favorite sources. Now, Justin, when it comes to paranormal uh, articles, it's probably one of the most difficult things to come across on a weekly basis let alone a bi-weekly basis, as we've been doing. Um, And I think part of the reason is because, despite the fact that it seems like so many people believe in the paranormal, it's actually a relatively relatively small fraction of people who do. So we don't have constant news articles coming in. There's not things happening on a daily basis like the television wants you to believe. Uh, Most paranormal encounters are very subtle and pretty much very far in between, depending on the sources and who reports them. Uh, But with that said, you came up with two articles for this week, correct? Right. Okay, and I have three. So, I don't know, do you want me to start off with the first article, or do you want to start with yours? Uh, Go ahead and start with yours, because like I said, one one of mine is relatively short, so that'll probably be the first one that I do, since I don't know what the length of yours are, but... Okay. Well, well, I've decided originally I was thinking I might go ahead and read through all of these, but I'm actually just going to be um, summarizing these articles instead of reading them through. And of course, everyone, as we have in the past weeks, we're going to go ahead and post these articles up on our website so you guys can check them out yourself. Uh, we'll also give you the the uh, the link or the site in which we bought, brought these uh, these articles from. So. The first one, I'll go ahead and jump right into it, is probably one that we've all heard of before, uh, and I'm sure there's various uh, beliefs behind it, but this one is the top three scientific explanations for ghost sightings, and this is reported by The Conversation UK. Now, when it comes to hauntings, a lot of people who've experienced them very well believe in those hauntings. Clearly, you know, every once in a while we hear someone who says I wasn't a believer until such and such happened. Uh, But the majority of hauntings are I kind of believed from the beginning. Well, what's interesting during when reading this article is you find the very first uh, explanation. And it's really not very scientific at all. In fact, none of these really are. But it's interesting nonetheless. And the first one is simply because I told you so. What does that mean? Well, the belief in this case is that because, Justin, for example, if you're walking into a house that may or not be may or may not be haunted, you don't believe in the haunting. You don't believe anything's going to happen. In fact, you don't even know that it's going to be a haunted house. You're just going to visit. Uh, 
if I let you go into the house and say nothing, you may experience nothing. But according to the scientific aspect of it, if I say, hey, Justin, this place is haunted, there's a far greater chance that you're going to end up witnessing something paranormal while you're within that house. Right Now, what's interesting about this, and we've talked about this in the past, is when it comes to the paranormal, most people who experience it have to be open to it. So if you're completely closed off, then, yeah, you may not experience anything. Um, but if you're open and you have kind of like a, you know, I'll believe what I see or what I hear type of thing, you know, a spirit might be more willing to reach out to you. Uh, and if you're open to that, you might witness that thing. So it, it's kind of interesting because the groups that they did here, um, it was just a couple, it was a small classic study. Uh, it was for participants who were visiting like five main areas of a theater before completing a questionnaire to assess their feelings and perceptions. And prior to the tour, one group was told the location was haunted, while the other group was informed that the building was under renovation. Now, of course, unsurprisingly, participants that were told the place was haunted experienced more intense experiences similar to those of paranormal happenings, while the others simply did not experience much of anything at all. Um, now, there's this idea of verbal suggestion uh, in which basically a something like you see in a seance, for example, uh, or like paranormal key bending and psychic readings. Uh, mm -hmm. These are things that are pretty much leading the person uh, to be open to, to suggestion. Uh, it's consistent within paranormal beliefs. If you can make somebody believe that you're real, like, for example, if, if you claim to be a psychic, we know and I'm not saying that all psychics are fake, but there are plenty of fake psychics out there who have been found as frauds and have lost, you know, right. their jobs because they're fakes. Um, but those people are basically magicians. They're capable of persuading you to believe something that isn't real. And so in that case the power of suggestion. We see it all the time with illusionists on TV and stuff like that. The second one is electromagnetic fields and spooky sounds. Now we all have heard about electromagnetic fields and there is scientific evidence that supports the fact if you have a high electromagnetic field, it may play tricks on your mind and, and on your eyes. You might see things like black shadows or masses. You might feel tingliness or nausea. Uh, you might feel dizzy. Um, you might feel like the atmosphere is kind of thick, things like that. These are things that uh, are just some of the side effects for high electromagnetic fields. Um, again, nothing new to us or anyone who's even somewhat involved in the paranormal community. Right. But yeah. spooky sounds is a little different. Now, the spooky sound thing is, this is based on uh, what's known as infrasound. And infrasound is basically an audio frequency below the range of human hearing. Um, and it's believed that this type of phenomena could explain such feelings as paranormal hauntings. Uh, these are things like you would consider in a way a dog whistle, for example. I mean, it sounds like nothing to us, but it kills a dog's ears. You know, they hear it differently. Right. For us, yep. these are small reverbs that you may not hear but you can feel within your within your body, you know, this really low bass. Um, now, it's believed that when something like this happens, uh, and for one example, and, and particularly uh, during live music, there was 
like a concert that they put on to, to test this, uh, in which live music was laced with infrasound, and the audience were then asked to describe their reactions to the music. And the more unusual experiences reported when infrasound was was present, uh, it was basically like chills down the spine, feeling nervous, waves of fear and uneasiness, sorrowful emotions. These are things that they noticed uh, when experiencing the infrasound compared to the music that didn't have infrasound, in which people felt more relaxed and calm and just enjoyed it all. Now, what's interesting about infrasound is it's very, very, very rare. We know it exists, but there's no real significant evidence to prove that infrasound has an impact uh, on the psyche, as this particular article is saying. In fact, in a very recent episode of Expedition Unknown, Josh Gates uh, was looking at the, I think it's called the Delov Pass or something like that. It's in Russia back in the 1950s. Um, nine college students trekked into the wilderness of Russia, the cold tundra, uh, and ended up going missing. And about 10 days after they were supposed to come back, there was a search party went out to look for them. They were all dead, frozen solid. Uh, apparently, the, the, the uh, tent that they were in was cut from the inside as opposed to on the outside. All their clothes were left in nicely stacked piles. They had a heater that was never used. Nothing was stolen. But yet, there were two people missing their eyes, another person missing their tongue. Somebody's skull was bashed in. Somebody had 12 broken ribs. Um, and there's this big argument as to what happened exactly. Now, this was the time of the, um, they believe that Soviets had ended up finding them after they had witnessed something and ended up killing them. That was one explanation. Another one was like Bigfoot. Another one was simply, it was cold outside. Maybe there was a blizzard. Uh, but one of them was infrasound, that the infrasound actually made them go crazy and made them get in a big fight inside the tent, cut it open, kill each other, and blah, blah, blah. But Josh Gates said that there's simply absolutely zero evidence to suggest that infrasound can have that type of impact on anybody whatsoever. And so it was dismissed. Uh, so that's one thing that I think is very important to note during, like in this article, is even though electromagnetic fields, which we know for a fact can cause some of these symptoms, spooky sounds like infrasound, it isn't, we don't know. We, we can't say there's not enough tests. Um, the final one is toxic hallucinations. And this one is basically the type of reaction that somebody might have to a toxic substance, such as mold, carbon monoxide, formaldehyde, and pesticides. So in this case, it's believed that if you're in a relatively small area, like an old prison or an old hospital, there's a lot of mold in there, those mold spores may get into your lungs and that can cause hallucinations, causing you to see and hear things that just aren't happening. Um, now, I don't know the exact trigger to this. I don't know how long it takes for molds to begin to react to, the, to your nervous system and to your mind. Uh, there's no real evidence here that I found that suggests like a particular timeline. So this could be a possibility. It could be that mold spores and fungal spores just attack immediately. But I have a feeling it takes a little more time than what they're thinking. This isn't like electromagnetic fields that pierces through the skin. This is something that's got to get circulated through the system first. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's 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 an interesting interesting thought. Could you imagine living in an old home and you've got mold spores, EMF, and infrasound all at the same time? That would suck. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, if you you weren't uh, experiencing hauntings before, you would be at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it would, it would probably be really bad for 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 everything for your entire body and your mind. I mean, that would you'd literally become the crazy person at the end of the street, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got one that kind of goes along with your stuff because it's it's about a haunting, but it's a. Uh, it's an article from actually Fox News about a uh, haunted house, a, a legally haunted New York home back on the market is the title. Now, it's about a 19th century home in New York uh, that hit the market for $1.9 million, though the three-level dwelling in the heart of town comes with a spooky catch. It's legally haunted. Now, to me... I feel that most houses aren't technically legally haunted, but here's the catch. Um, it's a 4,600 square foot Queen Victoria, uh, Queen Anne Victorian home. Uh, and it was in a lawsuit in, um, 1991. And it, well, let's see. According to reports, owner Helen Ackley, who lived in the home from the 1960s to 1980s, sold the house to Jeffrey Stambovsky in 1989. However, Ackley failed to disclose that while she inhabited the home, she had allegedly witnessed Revolutionary War-era poltergeists who shook uh, shook beds, slammed doors, and walked the halls. Once Stambovsky reportedly learned the scary additions, he sued Ackley for omission and demanded his deposit back to get out of the of the purchasing of the home uh so pre blah, blah, blah. the supreme court actually ruled in his favor um so long story short uh they had to list this home as a legally haunted home because a Supreme Court justice decided in the favor of the the um, the buyer, and it's. I mean, to me, and I've seen a couple people talking about this article. I mean, how can you legally say a house is haunted because you could have a reaction from one person, but have no reaction for the next? Kind of like what you were right. saying, like if somebody isn't open, there's going to be no, n- not, well, I should t- take that back, not necessarily any type of experiences. There might be, but not compared to somebody who's completely open. Right. Well, I think in this particular case, you, you have to consider, uh, again, the case subjects, for, for example. Uh, if you have one paranormal investigator go in there and say, oh, this place is haunted, and then have another one go in and say it's not haunted, and you had those two con- contradicting views or conflicting views, then you can't legally say it's haunted because there's two different types of evidence being caught. One shows that there's something there. The other doesn't. But if you have multiple paranormal investigators going in and multiple experiences or and on top of that, you have people living there, moving in, moving out, visiting who experience haunted things. Uh, then whether or not somebody who goes in there sees or doesn't see something compared to the multitude of people who have, clinically speaking, based on test subjects, the one who ha- has, uh, what's it called, like more 
criteria to the haunting two or four like for or against it is the one who's going to ultimately be the successor you know what i'm saying so um it's just like i was saying in the other article when they have two groups one group is told hey this place is haunted and the other group is not told anything told that it's a renovation the group who hears it's haunted is the one who sees all these things um right and it's kind of this it's, it's the same way with any test no matter what it is whether it's a haunting or like some type of medical test or whatever the one who experience the group that experiences more symptoms is the one who's ultimately going to be like oh these are what happens like a medication you know if if one person gets tingliness in their fingers from a medication well, that's not going to become a side effect. But if you have 20 people who feel it and one or two who don't, well, guess what? Side effect is tingliness. And it's kind of the same thing here, I think. Right. Right. All right. Let's go into another one of yours. Okay. So another one that we've talked about in the past, and we actually did an entire episode on it, is sleep paralysis. And basically, whether or not sleep paralysis is the work of ghosts or demons or aliens or if it's just simply a scientific phenomenon caused by the brain well we all know what sleep paralysis is basically and that is a a point in which a person is sleeping they wake up fully aware of their surroundings they can usually hear stuff see stuff smell stuff but they can't move their body at all it's very fearful moment i've had sleep paralysis a number of times uh it's something that you can't quite explain or understand but what goes beyond that is that many people who experience this sleep paralysis also experience something in the room with them dark shadows little tiny creatures uh somebody talking to them things like that uh and this is what's ultimately linked paralysis to ghosts and aliens in particular well According to science, sleep paralysis is simply just that. It's it's just a moment in the in the mind that causes you to seize up your body, that is, but keeps you aware within your eyesight and your hearing. And what happens is when you have a nightmare or a dream, like a very vivid dream, uh, and you awake in the midst of that dream, that dream kind of comes out with you. And it's not real, but you're kind of in the in-between stage of a dreamlike hallucination and you struggle to move. Uh, so you're kind of experiencing something that you would normally experience when you're sleeping, only you can see everything. So it's a little weird. Um, and of course, there's only about 8% of people around the world that really struggle with sleep paralysis. But of course, those estimates are dramatically changing depending on who you ask. Um but it's still something that's very creepy and apparently uh, is genetic and that can also be explained by environmental changes. Um, And some of those changes could be like stress, trauma, psychiatric difficulties, uh, physical illnesses, things like that, that might cause you to, to feel this or experience sleep paralysis. Now, another one is the exploding head syndrome. Justin, I'm going to ask you, have you ever fallen asleep and kind of been in that in-between stage of sleep? You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, you're almost fully asleep. It's like that moment where you feel like you're falling out of a tree or something. You like ever had that feeling? Sleep. Kind of. You know what I'm talking about? People always say, oh, that's because we were monkeys once. 
right right yeah. ex- experiencing our ancestors bunch of bullcrap but have you ever during that moment of kind of in between stages heard a loud bang and it startled you awake but could never find the source of the bang no i've never experienced a loud bang but i experience okay. um like there's a lot of times i'll experience like light shining in my eyes but there's no lights in okay. the house I don't know if okay. it's the same phenomenon or not. Um, it, and I, I think that uh, everybody's experiences jumping when you're in that mm-hmm. in that in-between state too. Right. Well, I, I think, and I think that could go along with this. Now, I, I haven't done any research on the idea of seeing lights when you fall asleep, but if it's anything similar to the exploding head syndrome, which sounds really scary, <laughs> um, right. it's probably similar. So basically... Sleep paralysis aside, uh, another way that sleep researchers are helping to explain paranormal experiences is by this whole idea of exploding head syndrome. And this is a moment in which you're sleeping or falling asleep and you suddenly hear like a shelf fall down in in another room or a car backfiring. Uh, And you wake up to find what the noise is, but you can't find anything anywhere. It's just a random noise. Maybe it was the house creaking. Maybe it wasn't. Well, this can be linked to our sleep, apparently. And this time, in regards to the exploding head syndrome, which is a term coined relatively recently by the neurologist J.M.S. Pierce, uh, when we fall asleep, the reticular formation of the brainstem, which is a part of our brain involved in consciousness, typically starts to inhibit our ability to move, see, and hear things. So this is kind of similar to the sleep paralysis thing. Um, Mm -hmm. When we experience a bang... In our sleep, this might be because of a delay in the process. So instead of the reticular formation shutting down the auditory neurons, they might they might all fire at one time, creating this loud bang. Um, now, as with sleep paralysis, the phenomenon is also under-researched. So again, we don't have any true research to really claim that this is the case. Uh, right. But for that very reason, there have been people from like BBC Focus and uh, Brian Sharpless is another one who in 2017 has been doing everything that they can to collect as much data on this topic as possible. But again, this is one of those things where it's just who knows, you know, maybe that's the case. Maybe not. Uh, The final thing is the imps and ghouls. Now, this kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier when you're in sleep paralysis you might experience shadows or little creatures. And maybe you're not even in sleep paralysis. Maybe you're fully awake and you witness these things. Well, this is, for example, this is something that's kind of weird. And we've all experienced this at some point. Uh, We might dream of a friend that we haven't seen in years, only to have them call us the very next day. Uh, And I don't know about you, but there's times where I, like just the other day, actually, my sister had said, Something about about my other sister. I think it was Ellie saying something about Aaron. And all of a sudden, Aaron called her at that exact moment. And it was like, well, that's weird. Like, all I did was think <laughs> of her and boom. You know, and I used to get that with some of my ex-girlfriends, too, that did the same thing. I'd think and then boom, it's there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But this apparently can also be apparently explained away by science. Um, and what's interesting about that. And this is this is why it's interesting is because in this article, it is said that we can use science 
to explain this type of phenomena, but they don't go into any detail as to what the science is to back up their claim that not. there's science, <laughs> other than one thing. So apparently, this article, uh, the, let me find out real quick here. Um, Alice M. Gregor, she's the author of this article. She's a professor of psychology at Goldsmiths University of London. Um, she says that researching her book, she spoke to Mrs. Sinclair, who is 70 and lives alone. She told her about what she had thought was a ghost living in her house, an imp throttling her during the night, uh, and other things that had left her petrified. Now, having ex scientific explanations provided her that's Mrs. Sinclair, with immense comfort, and she no longer believes in the paranormal explanations for things that she experienced. That's as far as we get, and as much as we get. What's interesting about that is Mrs. Sinclair, who now has been given scientific explanations as to why she's witnessing these things and feels better, doesn't indicate that she has actually gotten better from the symptoms themselves. So she still suffers from the symptoms. Uh, and the problem that I have with this is... Unlike many people, not, I should say many, people who have considered this paranormal activity, and mind you, there's a lot more data coming in supporting paranormal influences on sleep paralysis. In fact, there's actually video evidence out there now of people who regularly have sleep paralysis. They mm. wake up and you can actually see on the video shadows and little weird creatures and things like that walking through the room or mists floating over the bed. Things that kind of help, like, say, wait a second. This could be real. You know, there's a paranormal entity or something unexplained that's causing this right. that isn't scientific yet scientific. So I just think it's really interesting. And the problem here is that if since there's not enough science backed research to say, hey, there's a scientific reason as to why you're seeing these things that you're seeing in your sleep. But there's also no definitive proof that it's something paranormal or out of our realm and something we can't control. I think it's dangerous to say, hey, let me give you a scientific explanation to make you feel better. Meanwhile, constantly being bombarded by something that may actually be a real entity harming this person. Uh, right. And I think there needs to be some type of balance in between there. I don't know how. I don't. But I think that scientists and paranormal uh, enthusiasts and research in researchers in particular need to come together and try to find like some type of real results uh, that can help people overall. Uh, now, there is a f one more like little thing that goes along with this, and that's the hope that scientific explanations of paranormal experiences might help others by lowering anxieties. Now, the idea is that decreasing anxiety has also been hypothesized as a potential method by which to reduce sleep paralysis. So people are, science research researchers in general, are finding that People who have high anxiety tend to experience more of the sleep paralysis and in return experience more paranormal phenomena. Um, but again, evidence is pretty, pretty low. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for you to say it's one, one thing or another because, I mean, there are people that have sleep paralysis that don't see anything. They just can't move. But then there are right. those that experience the whole what you would call quote unquote paranormal experience during that that phase too so right i it, and i don't know if the article even said anything about this but you were talking about the 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 photos or, or the video of 
stuff, people mm-hmm. seeing stuff when people are having sleep paralysis. Now, was that during a scientific experiment or was that people doing that themselves? No, this is people doing them th- themselves. Uh, and this is actually something okay. I just found found out about a couple of days ago on a television show uh, in which somebody had caught this this content, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, now, of course, it's it's interesting because I I would hope that scientists would kind of delve in a little deeper on the subject matter and actually record video, which they typically don't record video of people sleeping. Um, but I wish they would. And maybe we would find the res- some type of result. Like maybe there would be something there. Maybe there wouldn't. I think it depends on the type of haunting. If it's a residual haunting, they might see something. But if it's in a uh, intelligent haunting, that spirit might recognize the fact that they're being videotaped by somebody who doesn't believe in them and not show itself, depending on what right. type of ghost it is. You know, so there is those little areas of weirdness that you have to consider. Uh, but one thing I do want to mention real quick before letting you do your next article is, in terms of uh, explanations, you know, or in, in particularly the idea of persuasion, telling one person that something's haunted compared to telling someone else it isn't. There was an experience that my sister had, Ellie, uh, about a, two weeks ago. Uh, me, her, and her husband, we were in Gettysburg. Her husband had never been to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, so he wanted to go for a day trip before we went down to North Carolina for our full vacation. So we went there, and we stayed at a hotel called... Actually, let me look it up real quick, sorry. Uh, I think it's 1867. Uh, Gettysburg Hotel 1863. Okay, so we stayed at a hotel in Gettysburg called 1863 in of Gettysburg. Well, this particular building is 18, you know, very old. It was built mm-hmm. in 1863. It was part of the war. Uh, you know, people had actually stayed there, things like that. And what happened was my, my brother-in-law and I were sitting outside on the balcony and we were drinking beers, just minding our own business, not doing, you know, just hanging out or whatever. And my sister was inside. She's in the bathroom. I forget she's taking a shower or something like that, but she's going to meet us out later. And right. she comes out maybe about 10 minutes later and she's like, those freaking neighbors next door are really pissing me off. And we're like, what do you, what's why? And she's like, they keep tapping on the stupid wall behind like on the backside of the of the sink they keep tapping on it and i was like you know we we're like oh well, that that's kind of weird because the thing is and i was like if if you go to the side of the building which is where me and uh, jordan he's my brother-in-law we were hanging out we actually stole a bench from there to bring it back to our door so we had a place to sit <laughs> and so the smokers didn't have a place to sit because that's how we are <laughs> so we stole the smoking bench so that we can have a place to sit while we're drinking our beer but mm-hmm. the walls are super long. The side of the building is really long. And when you go into the hotel room, the rooms themselves are very short, which means that there's a huge gap between our room and the room that's adjacent to us, behind us, basically. On top of that, Jordan, who's a firefighter, he had shown uh, me and my sister these walls that kind of protruded out a little bit. You would think it's part mm-hmm. of the design, but it wasn't. They're actually firewalls 
which help protect each room in case one room starts on fire. You have roughly several hours before the next room catches. And because they're fireproof, they're virtually soundproof as well, which means if you're tapping on that wall, you're likely not going to hear anything. So we thought it was kind of weird, whatever, you know, just neighbors. So Jordan went to check out. And while he went to check out the next morning, me and my sister went to grab the car. So you pull the car around and Jordan walks out and we actually thought he was just joking because he does this kind of stuff a lot. But he says, so I was just checking out and the woman behind the counter asked how our night was. And he said, it was fine. Just normal night, I guess. You know, everyone, it was okay. And she's like, oh, well, that's interesting. And he's like, why? And she's like, well, room 555, which is the room that we stayed at, is the most haunted room in the entire building. And the fifth floor is the most haunted floor on the entire in the entire building. And it's haunted by a, a spirit named George, who often taps on walls, lifts toilet seats up and down, is basically a prankster spirit. And that kind of thought, like for a moment, we're like, wait a second, a sister heard tapping when she shouldn't have heard tapping because of the wide gap between rooms and the firewalls. And now you're telling us that we stayed in the most haunted room in the entire building. <laughs> I mean, this is something that goes against the whole explanation thing. Like if, if they would have told us that from the beginning, which I wish they did, because then I could have done an actual investigation, but right. they didn't. Well, now you can go back. But if they, <laughs> I could go back. But if they did tell us, then science might say, okay, well, you know, you were persuaded to believe something that isn't real. But right. the fact that we didn't know, and my sister still heard something that can't be explained, and when it is explained, it explains, or it's irrational that there should be any knocking whatsoever. Well, now there's something else. You know, we're in this spectrum of, of that science simply cannot grasp fully yet. So, right, interesting thing. Well, I mean that. I mean, even though you're saying you wish they would have told you, I mean the that's the best corroborative evidence to uh that i've ever heard of like not very often do you does anybody go into a haunted location not knowing anything if you're an investigator anyways um, right because you're you're doing constant research so that you know really begs the question on the scientific uh research that like since there are some teams that get told things, are they experiencing and getting that evidence because they're being told stuff? Yeah. I mean, it, who knows? It's possible. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach 
Cornwell for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. So, well, my next one is uh, it's it's kind of in a different direction with uh, not dealing with ghosts, but this comes uh, from coast to coast, and it's about an article titled "Anomaly Hunter Spots Massive Face in Antarctica Via Google Earth." An anomaly hunter scouring Google Earth for unusual sites stumbled upon a curious spot in Antarctica, which gives the legendary face on Mars a run for its money. The weird find came to light on August 20th when it was posted on the Instagram account UFO Scandinavia. While looking at Google Earth images of Antarctica, the researcher noticed that it appears to be a rather sizable face standing out and amid the frosty mountainous terrain sporting what seems to be a proportionate set of eyes, a nose, and a mouth. The eerie visage has captured the imagination of conspiracy theorists who contend that Antarctica is home to all manner of esoteric secrets. Numerous observers were quick to note that the potential face bears an uncanny resemblance to the famed face on Mars that is said to sit in the Sidonia region of the Red Planet and was first photographed uh, in 1976. While one can be forgiven for thinking that the Antarctic face is a clever photo manipulation, a quick check of the Google Earth indicates that, indeed, it can be found at the coordinates 7200036 south by 168.3453 east. Although the anomaly is genuine in the sense that it was photographed by Google Earth, skeptics will undoubtedly say that the face is simply a case of pareidolia and not a mysterious long-lost monument hidden under but beneath the snow. Now, I mean, you look at it and quite honestly, it kind of looks like, and this is going to sound really nerdy, Megatron from <laughs> Transformers. Um, little Or... A little bit like a Yeti, kind of, too. So, is it Paradelia? I mean, it could be, but at the same time, a snow, um, a snowbank that has sunk in a in a certain spot. It, even though you could say it's Paradelia, it's still sunken in in certain shapes. So it could still look like a face, but not be anything other than snowdrifts. Right. Not, not no, some type of monument under the snow or something like that. Um, you know, the, the whole rumor about the face on Mars is supposedly there's a, some type of ancient monument creating that too. So mm-hmm. now is the, but, I, I'm, I'm looking it up now, but is the face on Mars very similar to this one in appearance? Um, Actually, the face on Mars looks more like a human face than uh, this one, it. where it looks more like a, a kind of like a Yeti. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I, I just looked it up. I see it. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, and 
you know, a lot of this could be done, like in this case with the Mars one, you know, you have a number of different craters, you know, you have mountainous regions on Mars, uh, heavy winds on Mars, a lot of storms, right. you know, so you got a lot of things happening that can create this type of thing. Uh, the Antarctica one, same thing, just like you said, uh, there's a lot of reasonable explanations as to why the face looks like this. My question is mainly uh, the f- two things, actually. The first one is the researcher who found it, why were they looking at Antarctica and how did they come across this particular spot? Because right. you have to zoom in really, 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 really close to Earth in order to find it. And I highly doubt that he was just scanning it that close, you know. Um, right. And I'm looking at some of these views from way up higher of how Earth view starts off. And there's no way that you would ever see this without zooming in. So I find that a little interesting and a little weird um, and a little skeptical. But on the other hand, in terms of the scientists who say that it's absolutely nothing, have they actually gone there and investigated? I mean, you can't say that something doesn't exist there without first testing that theory, right? That's how science works. So I think it's really interesting that these scientists just right off the bat say, nope, there's nothing there. There's nothing underneath it. And I'm pretty confident I could be wrong, but I'm sure that they didn't go to that. Any scientist had gone to that specific spot and said, I'm going to test this here. Right. You know, so I don't know. I at both ends, it's a little weird and both can be stretched. So. Well, I mean, it's, there are scientists who are saying uh, some, not not all, but some scientists who are saying that there is some type of remnants of. um I don't know if it's past civilization or, or what, but under the ice that, that there's something under there, like a large pyramid or something of some kind under there. Mm-hmm. Um, whether this is related or not, who knows, but. Right. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, would we say scientists or paranormal researchers, uh, we're not including all scientists or all paranormal researchers and whatever it is we're saying. We're taking a relatively small amount, probably. The ones that tend to voice their opinions most, those are the ones we're talking about. Because in reality, a lot of scientists, when you look at the research and you talk to scientists, the majority of scientists say that there are things that are unexplainable by science. God is unexplainable, and there are things that scientists have found that make them lead to believe that maybe God is real or maybe the paranormal in terms of spirits and the afterlife is real. Uh, right. Obviously there's no scientific evidence to prove it, but there are things that science has found that they can't replicate and can't denounce, you know, that says, Oh, maybe this whole, you know, faith-based thing, whatever that faith-based thing is, could be real. Well, on the other side, you know, there, there's paranormal enthusiasts who say that science is just false about everything. And we need to look beyond our own minds and, you know, talk to the other side in order to get the true answers. And again, that's an extreme. So luckily there are scientists and paranormal researchers out there that have a nice medium ground. And those are the ones that I think probably influence the culture the most. Um, But unfortunately, it's the far sides that tend to express their opinions loudest. So folks don't think that we're just blaming everybody. We're not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You had one more, right? I have one more, and I'm going to stay on the whole haunted ghost thing. And this one is, again, something we talked about a little while ago when we did our um, uh, 
Oh, which one was it? I think it was our. The heck was it? Was it Angelology when we talked about like no? It, I think we did this one. Yes, sorry. I'm talking it through with myself, folks. I'm very sorry about that. Um, <laughs> this is one that we kind of covered when we talked about Ghost Hunting 101. Uh, and this is, in particular, ways to protect yourself from ghosts, oh, from spirits. Okay. So, in this case, this is an article by Brandy Neal. It was just created on September 23rd of 2019. Guess what? That's the same day that we're recording this episode. So, it very recent and this is by bustle or it's on bustle that's the link again all these links will be in on our website and probably underneath our you know in facebook and on youtube and all that anyway so in this case brandy neal ended up talking to a medium named erica gabrielle who tells bustle that whether you're a medium or not there are ways to close doors to the spiritual realm now, we all know how I personally feel about some mediums. I've met mediums who are seem pretty legit. And, you know, we have had good relationships, but you need to be careful on who you're talking to and who, you know, test the spirits. And in that case, test the mediums, make sure they're legit. There are ways to do it. Do your research. You know, don't just be spending money on random stuff. But a lot of this stuff I agree with, most of it. Uh, the first one that Erica mentions is simply clearing your energy. So as we all know, energy is a big thing in the paranormal community, depending on the type of energy that's around you. You can attract good ghosts or bad ghosts or pretty much everything in between. Uh, you know, if you have negative energy in your life via somebody who's just a jerk to you and not a good friend, that's going to weigh down on you, create anxiety. If you have people who are really good in energy, and always uplift you, you're going to have much more positive responses in the paranormal community, possibly, uh, and just in general, you know, living your life. But with that said, it's important to clear your energy. And Erica, in this case, says that you should do this by using sage, uh, especially after something or someone kind of crazy or nasty or just a jerk has been in your space. You know, now, Justin, you and I have used sage before. Uh, I actually was just about to buy sage the other day and I was like $7 for one stick. And I was like, eh, <laughs> I'm too cheap for that. It's so expensive. Maybe yeah. <laughs> I'll find it elsewhere. But um, so sage is one. Uh, and the other one can be a, a diffuser with pure sage oil. So sage is the big thing here. And you can use real sage, which you can buy online. You can buy it on Amazon for literally like $2. Buy a stick, right. buy a couple sticks. Or you can buy an uh, oil that you can just place in a diffuser and create that same scent. And the idea here, uh, at least in terms of a haunting, is that spirits cannot stand, for whatever reason, the scent of sage. There's a lot of different beliefs behind it. Um, but the basic thing is if there's a negative energy within the home, that negative energy cannot stand the scent of sage. Uh, and so you would use this to basically energize your own energy to re-energize uh, and cleanse yourself and your home. Mm -hmm. The second one is trust your gut. Uh, trust your gut is very important. This is one that any and all paranormal researchers, I think, do the very first moment they step onto a location. Justin, back when you and I were uh, in the field doing paranormal investigations, um, 
we would often trust our guts when we went into it. You know, I often mm. told you how I felt thick atmosphere, headaches, uh, nausea, things like that, which indicated negative energy entities. Uh, and you use that same kind of gut feeling, which went along the side of your sensitivity as well to the paranormal, uh, in which you're able to uh, do not unlike psychics, but slightly different, was kind of tell the story of what might have happened in a location. Mm -hmm. And I've only experienced that with you a couple times, but they're vivid time, vivid memories. Um, one was probably at Ghost Alley, I think was probably the most notorious one in which we both had crazy experiences there. I think everyone had crazy experiences there. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it's just trust your gut, you know? Uh, if you're sharing your space with spirits and it isn't really your type of thing, uh, you know, it, you, you really have to just trust yourself and find a way to either deal with it in, in a positive way or try to get rid of it entirely. You know, if you feel like something's off in your house or somebody else's house, hold on to that, you know, and that could be anything. This is, doesn't even just go towards spiritual things. You have to consider like being around people in general. If you're in a bad situation that you, your gut says, I shouldn't be here with this person or with this group or, you know, whatever, that's probably something or yourself, at least your conscience telling you it ain't right. Get out. So right. trust your gut. That's number two. Number three, tell the spirits to leave. This is one that you and I have always told our clients. Uh, and we've said it here on, on Paratruth Radio as well. If a spirit is bothering you, whether negative or not, simply tell it to leave. If you live in the home, you own the home. It's your space, not the spirit space. Command the spirit to leave. And that spirit should leave. That doesn't always happen, which means that in some cases you resort to prayer, you, you know, get a little angrier. You know, it's all about attitude. You want to be powerful. Right, just depending forceful. on what you're dealing with as well. Right. You, you really want to, you just really want to show that you're the alpha basically in the situation, not right. the spirit. And Erica actually puts it a really funny way. And she just says, be strong and take no crap. And it's that simple. <laughs> You know, the spirits, if it's a negative spirit, mind you, they're going to fight like hell. Uh, mm -hmm. And in that case, it might be a good idea. If you're going to try to tell a spirit to leave, a negative spirit to leave, have people around you who can help uh, in regards to at least providing some spiritual energy for yourself, you know, some some good backup. Um, because you never really want to fight an evil entity or a negative entity on your own because it's going to drain you and it's going to cause problems, uh, especially right. if it doesn't want to leave. The fourth one, practice visualization exercises. This is one that, again, we've talked about, and it's the whole idea of believing. You know, if you're going to, the Bible says it pretty clearly, when you pray about something, believe that you've already received it. And that goes along the lines of just about everything we do in life. You know, if you want something to happen, uh, then you want to really focus on that something, believe that something's going to happen, and maybe it'll manifest itself. Uh, at least that's how it works in the paranormal realm. In the Bible, it's the same thing. Believe in your prayer. Believe that God is going to uh, give you that prayer. You're going to receive that request or whatever it is, uh, good health, uh, a steady job, whatever. And that could come into fruition because of your belief. Have faith in it. And it's the same thing when practicing uh, visualization exercises with spirits. You want to have this visualization of like a completely bright white light surrounding you, like an aura of light uh, that is impenetrable to negative entities or any entities whatsoever. Uh, you want to 
believe in strong love. You want to, you know, believe in angels that would protect you. You, you want to believe these types of things, things that would overcome darkness, basically. Because, uh, mind you, if you're trying to get rid of a spirit, it's most likely going to be negative. Most people, in my experience, haven't bothered with good entities or good spirits. So, you know, thinking of these lights and these electric bubbles, visualize, believe it. And that's going to help in the long run and the short run when it comes to casting out spirits. Number five, <laughs> this one's, I don't know how many times we've said this one. Don't <laughs> use the Ouija board, folks. This is pretty simple. Not everyone believes the Ouija board to do anything. But the problem is that there is plenty of accidental evidence that proves otherwise, or at least suggests otherwise. I've seen it. You've seen it. We've experienced it. I know I've experienced it numerous times. A Ouija board is a door, and it's going to open that door every single time, whether the spirit responds to you in the moment or not. The right. only way to keep that door closed is to never open it in the first place. Right. Stay away from the Ouija board. I don't think I need to get into much more than that because we've covered it on so many episodes. Um, right. But yeah, the sixth one and the final one, this is something I don't necessarily agree with. I know there's some type of maybe scientific evidence that supports it. You, at least you used to believe in it. I'm sure you still do. And that is simply getting some crystals to help. So crystals, according to Erica, who again is a medium, are a great way to clear negative energy and keep it from coming back. Uh, selenite in particular is perhaps the best cleansing crystal out there. Selenite is Erica's go-to stone for protection from ghosts and lower vibrational energies. And she personally considers it to be a crystal ghost buster. So the idea of crystals is that much like salt, it's a purifier basically. Right. Well, salt is the a crystal. Right. The energy of the crystal itself is able to absorb negativity or negative energies. Think of like a dream catcher in a sense. It absorbs right. negative dreams and provides good ones. And crystals more or less do the same thing uh, according to many mediums and uh, spiritual spiritualists, paranormal researchers. They use them for a reason. And again, this is all based on belief. I've never experienced anything with them. I'm not a believer in crystals. Justin is, and he's experienced things. You know, it's one of those type of things. Um, but crystals, selenite is another very good option for clearing mm. negative energies and protecting yourself from ghosts. Uh, and of course, there are plenty of other ones that we've talked about. Uh, various objects like, um, what, what was it, Saint? What was the necklace that you bought us? Remember? Uh, Saint, Saint Benedict, I believe. Saint Benedict, yeah. So you know, there's a Saint Benedict coins and necklaces, bracelets that you can wear. I mean, there's certain types of crucifixes, uh, and I say certain types because it depends on your faith. Uh, there's crucifix with Jesus on it. There's ones with them off with him off of it. Um, there's a number of different relics out there, both religious and non-religious, that have shown evidence and have proved good against negative energies and protecting yourself from ghosts so that is that in regards to our episode four articles um are we taking a break yep we're gonna take a quick break and we will oh. be right back with paratruth radio hey everyone i'm kat ward host of paranormal heart your monthly paranormal podcast 
Join me the last Sunday of every month as I speak to people who share their paranormal experiences. You can follow me on Podbean, YouTube, TuneIn, iTunes, Spotify, and Paranormal Radio. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. I hope everyone is enjoying their time with us. And if you're just tuning uh, tuning in, I don't know how if you're not listening live because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> did you just fast forward to podcast. this moment? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, if you happen to have done that, please rewind. If not, enjoy the last couple minutes of the show. Uh, and I appreciate your view because that still shows us numbers. So thank you very right. much for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> keep clicking those play buttons, folks. Keep clicking. Uh, and of course, follow us on social media and everything else. We love interacting with everybody. Uh, you know, we were gone for what, six months, right? A little over six months, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, it was, it was around, uh, around March. It was around March. Yeah. So it's been a little while. So, you know, it's, it's good to be back. It's nice to be down in the studio recording an episode. Uh, and I hope you guys really enjoyed tonight's episode. I hope you enjoyed our live episode uh, last week. With all these articles, Justin, I know we, we always kind of pressure each other by asking, what did we learn? Or what do we agree with or not agree with? Or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. In regards to these articles, what is the takeaway for you? And any article, it doesn't matter. Uh, well, I mean, we've got a face in Antarctica. We had sleep paralysis. Uh, we had a legally haunted house. Um, I can't remember. What was your first one again? Uh, the first one was three scientific reasons that something that the paranormal doesn't exist, I think. Okay. So we had Wait. the the. Let me let, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> let me just double check real quick. I hate to give you false information. Bella, nineteen eighties. <clears throat> you delete that part because everyone know my password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did, which one was that? That was. Let me three three scientific explanations for ghost sightings. That was the first one. So we've had, we had the three scientific explanations for ghost hunting or, or for hauntings. Um, and we had uh, the psychic telling us how to protect ourselves against spirits. So, I mean, pretty much all of them we've kind of talked about before, uh, except for the Antarctic, Antarctica face. And we've never really talked about the Mars face either. So... Um, that one was very interesting to me that now we are seeing a face on earth that correlates with Mars. And there's a, these huge amounts of groups now saying that there's a, a correlation between Mars and earth that Mars went through some type of catas catastrophe. And that's how we ended up on earth that we originally originated on Mars first. Um, but you know, there is that, that pareidolia, effect and who knows if it unless like you said a scientist actually went to that exact geological location and said yeah no there's nothing there um you can't say it it isn't because you're not you're not going to that spot so right. that that one really 
was fascinating to me just because there is the correlation to Mars and Earth again. Um, and then the other one that I found fascinating was the legally haunted house because, I mean, I've never heard of a house being legally haunted. So uh, have you heard, I mean, there have been these things now where people are giving full disclosure about they've experienced hauntings and selling their homes, right. but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I actually just talked about this with your brother the other day, cause I had mentioned something and in, regarding hauntings. And the, the, the thing is you don't actually legally, you don't have to disclose that there's a haunting at a house when you're right. selling it. You only have to right. disclose whether or not someone had killed themselves or someone had died there. Uh, generally speaking. So, the fact that there's now this idea of a legal haunting means that there's going to be more you have to share with the public. Uh, and there's good things and bad things to that. The good thing is if is someone who doesn't want to live in a haunted house doesn't have to buy that house, right? right. Meanwhile, someone who might want the haunted house, and mind you, there are two paranormal investigators uh just within the last couple of years who have bought houses, one being Zach Bagans and one, I forget the other guy's name, but uh, he has another show, also has a show on Travel Channel. Uh, both of them bought haunted houses for this simple fact that they're haunted houses. They want to do more research and investigate them. Um, but there are people out there who might want that type of thing, who want to buy these haunted houses. And so having that full disclosure right. could be a benefit, but it could also be very negative because also, mind you, you're going to get less views, most likely. Less people are going to come look at it, and you're going to have a harder time buying it overall. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think hauntings are a little. Again, this could. There's a number of types of hauntings out there. Some hauntings are residual. Some are residual hauntings, meaning that that ghost should stay at the house. Some are intelligent hauntings, which is they may stay or they may go. And some are attached hauntings which means whoever's living there already has a spirit attached to them, which means when they move, guess what? That spirit will probably move with them and that house is no longer haunted. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's someone who has an experience in a haunted house may not have, someone else may not have the same experiences, you know, simple right. as that. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think it could be a bit of a problem because let's face it, a lot of this world seems to be haunted nowadays. <laughs> well, that's, what's funny is, is uh, my wife and I have started looking at houses and t the two that we looked at so far, or three that we looked at so far are, were older homes. And each time she says, did you feel anything there? No, I didn't feel anything <laughs> there. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, you, you got to ask, you, you know, <laughs> you never know. So, um. Any particular that struck you as as odd or, or different? Uh, well, I too agree with you in regards to the whole legal aspect of, of a haunting for a house. You know, I've I've just shared my view on that. So there's that. Uh, the other one I think is going to be probably one of my articles, and it's most likely going to be this whole sleep paralysis thing. Uh, what I find most interesting about that is there's science claiming or there's people claiming i should say that there's science to back up sleep paralysis against right. minimal experiences right. and the fact is that there just isn't you know and so these articles tend to be pretty short they tend to be very opinionated but there's no real facts supporting their 
the whole article, the idea behind the scientific explanation. Uh, and I find that kind of disappointing because if that's the case, I don't think there should be, be there shouldn't be articles telling you that science can back it up if you're not proving it to us. Um, yeah, you're not picking out what exactly is the explanation. Right. And this, the evidence that they do have is very minimal. It's one or two people that they've talked to. You know, um, there, there needs to be better research. I'd love to do that kind of research. I think it'd be cool to try to videotape someone sleeping. It sounds really creepy, but it'd be cool to videotape somebody sleeping. Um, watch and see what happens, you know, during their sleep paralysis. See if there's actually some type of movement within the room, if there's something else there. Because the idea is if there is something in the room, and someone has the paralysis on camera, you're likely going to find something or hear something that is really odd, right? If it's paranormal. And if not, well, maybe there's a scientific explanation, but as with most things, the paranormal and regular life just isn't very clear to a lot of us. And there's a good chance right. that both are correct. You can have see paralysis by scientifically understandable methods you can also see paralysis because the spirit is haunting you who knows it could be both uh but you know I, and I think that's the one thing that's that's tough with a lot of science-based stuff is it can go either way and it could go both ways you know right so right anyway yeah that's that's pretty much it for me i, mean, I thought all these articles are pretty interesting but those two oh. in particular were intriguing I'm glad you brought up the the sleep paralysis one because, as you said, they they really don't get into detail. But there is always a different explanation for each article that's written too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's kind of like one of those things of proving if the paranormal is real. I don't think we're really going to ever know unless we come up with some type of technology that does a full brain scan while you're sleeping, while you're experiencing the sleep paralysis, um, and at least come up with a, a visual visualization of the brain itself to right. say what's happening. But, but you know what the problem is with that? It, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't believe it. You know, even if science can prove that there's nothing paranormal about sleep paralysis, there's always going to be somebody out there who says, that's not true. I don't believe it. You know, there's going to be ghost right. researchers that say I've researched otherwise and I've seen otherwise. And likewise, there's plenty of scientists out there who are going to disagree with the paranormal and say, no, that's even though that looks like proof to me, it's not real. It's doctored or, you know, there's a scientific explanation as to why that person that isn't really living is sitting there, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, right. So we're always going to have this issue that's a constant battle of butting heads who's going to be knocked out faster and the fact is that neither will it's always going to be this constant little war between science and the paranormal community which is unfortunate um but hopefully with all of that we as individuals can learn a thing or two and come up with our own belief system regarding this type of health how health is linked to the paranormal and vice and how it's not i guess right right all right, folks. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. Uh, I hope you like the new format. Uh, we're going with a little bit different type of style. Uh, as we explained on the live show, it's just because of, um, you know, there's a lot of weird things happening in this day and age. And we've talked so many topics to the, like, it, it it's still beating a dead horse to this point because 
we've gone over a hundred and so times. Well, as of this episode, so 221 times. So, um, I, I hope that you guys enjoyed the, the new format. So let us know, uh, click the, the comments link, clip, click, uh, comments on Facebook, wherever you're commenting, just let us know what you think. Um, and I think that's about it. Did you have any uh, housekeeping announcements or anything? Yes. So, and folks, with that said, I really hope you all join us, not next week, but the following week for our first holiday special. And that is, of course, our Halloween special, uh, which I personally look forward to every single year as Halloween is probably my favorite holiday of the year. I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good times. Looking forward to it. So until then, as always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Peace. This is That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.